You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Uh, good morning, Westside. It's so good to see all of you. If you are uh, visiting with us or newer to Westside, we wish you an especially warm welcome uh, this morning. We, we do appreciate you being here, and it, and it is uh, a little bit disconcerting to go visit a new place, even if a family member or a friend dragged you here. Uh, so we thank you for being here. And uh, I just want to say from the get-go, uh, my name is Steve, by the way. I have the privilege of leading the eldership team here at, uh, at Westside and preach most Sundays of the year. And um, I just want to say that we really believe what we sang this morning, we love Jesus. We really, really do. And we love His Word. And uh, as much as possible, we won't add anything to this or take anything away. We want to be authentic New Testament uh, believers. And uh, we don't think that we're it. We don't think that we know it all. Uh, There's a lot of other great churches out there who love Jesus and love His Word as well. Uh, But together as His church, uh, in this region and around the world, His body, His bride, uh, we will fulfill his purposes in our generation. And so uh, I'm just uh, so privileged to uh, know so many of you and, and uh, to be able to, to lead this body. And uh, I just, uh, in, in the worship time this morning, just felt the pleasure of the Lord on this place. That was a great word, prophetic word over this church. Arise, shine, for your light is time, it has come. It's going to get dark out there. And some of you say, it already is dark. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to get darker and in, in the darkness, we shine brighter. And it's not us shining, but Jesus shining through us. And so what a great uh, time to live. We could be living in the culmination of the ages uh, and see and usher in Christ's return. That would, wouldn't that be awesome? Uh, and if we don't, some of us get to go the, uh, to heaven a little bit ahead of time, uh, more than others, but uh, we're all going to be together someday, those who have bent their knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, we're starting a brand new series uh, this morning. And um, can anybody have any kind of guess what it, what it is, what this series is on? Oh, it's on Romans. Okay. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's a big hint up there. Uh, Romans is considered by many to be the most theologically deep and profound uh, book in, in the Bible, in the New Testament. Um, Paul, the great apostle, uh, wrote this letter uh, to the church in Rome. Uh, Paul had never been there. Neither had uh, James or Peter. Uh, they hadn't been there either. But within a couple decades after Jesus uh, going back to heaven, uh, there was an established group of believers in Rome. They probably met in houses um, at that time, because there was no real synagogues per se. There was a few in Rome, but uh, houses are not like what we picture houses. You know, when you have a small group in your house, by the way, small groups are launching in a couple weeks. Some of them are launching a little bit ahead of time, like a soft start. So make sure if you're not in a small, uh, small group uh, at Westside, there's one that's sure to be a fit for you. Uh, we have uh, some, I don't know, it's 28... Uh, small groups, and there's going to be one near you and one that will be a a good fit for you or your family. 
And so uh, get, in, get involved in one of those. But in, in the New Testament, oftentimes it was uh, believers that opened up their homes for early church. Like Priscilla and Aquila, they were, they were fairly wealthy business people, a husband and wife team. And, and it uh, shows us through the New Testament that they, act, they actually met uh, in several cities and started churches in their home. Uh, but in a, if you go to visit the Middle East today, you'll see that there are some homes, and there were in those days as well, uh, homes that could accommodate this many people in their home. Uh, several hundred people, in fact, in their homes. So when we see, say the church met in their home, a lot of times our picture is something different than actually was. They had huge courtyards. Remember, Jesus' trial took place uh, in the home of Caiaphas or uh, Ananias, one of those guys. Uh, the high priest and his son-in-law took place in a home. And so those could be big, huge places. And so... Um, Paul wrote this letter to uh, the church in Rome, but it's to all believers, to Gentiles and to Christians. And so this is the first in order in the New Testament, how the the books are ordered, of the epistles. An epistle is a letter. So Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome and to us as well. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, those are the Gospels. Those are four different perspectives on the life of Christ uh, mainly to four different audiences, and when we read all of them, we get a more complete and full picture. Uh, and then you have the book of Acts, and those five books there, that's the history of the first century church uh, from the birth of Christ through uh, the end uh, of the first century and John's uh, receiving the revelation of Jesus in, in, at the end of the New Testament. So the rest of the books through the New Testament, those are letters that were written and circulated among the early church. And so... Um, this was an exciting time uh, to be alive and to see your world turned upside down. For believers, it was an exciting time because some of them were being killed for being Christians. Some of them were thrown to the lions or had their families ripped apart or any, any number of reasons. And so those people, if you said you were a Christian, you really put your life on the line. And so it's in, in our culture, the culture that we're in, not necessarily around the world today, but for us, it's really not all that difficult. Some of you may have lost promotions or a job or uh, accounts or something like that, or friends uh, by coming to Christ, and, uh, or family members. They, used, they never cared before if you missed a birthday party, but now that you're a Christian, they go, oh, you missed a birthday party because of the church. So we, uh, we uh, encounter that kind of um, persecution in our lives today, but I'm, I'm telling you, it's going to get worse. And if not worse for you, for your children and grandchildren. And so I want to encourage you, keep your eyes on Jesus. He'll never let you go. He'll never fail you. This isn't it. We're not living for this, this time on earth. We're living for eternity. So, Father, I pray that you'd open our hearts and open our minds as we get into this book uh, of Romans. Uh, your word says that the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us into all truth. And so we depend upon you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So the theologians among you, if you ever have any good tidbits, you can see the stuff that we're, the verses that we're coming up to in Romans. If you have some good insight on that, send it my way. My email, steve at westsideinfo.com. I'd love to hear from you. And uh, let's make this a collaborative uh, effort. This is Romans chapter 1, verse 1 through 7. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out 
to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son Jesus. Romans is about the gospel. And the gospel is about Jesus. It's right there. Uh, in his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line. And he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them. Gentiles are simply people who are not Jewish. There's Jews and there's everybody else. Just like for us, there's Americans and there's everybody else. All right? Or if you're from California, there's Placervillians and everybody else. All right? So, that's Gentiles. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, to tell the Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey Him, bringing glory to His name. And you are included among those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? I am writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his own holy people. That's the saints. Uh, the, the same Greek word is often translated as saint or holy, the holy ones. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Amen. What a great passage. So we're going to get uh, go through this. Uh, this salutation uh, that, that Paul just went in... These uh, first seven verses of Romans are also in his conclusion at the very end of the book, and he goes through these themes um, uh, that uh, that he gives out here: that the gospel is preeminent, that Jesus is Lord, uh, that He was sent; He has the authority of, a, of an apostle; that He was sent out to preach uh, to the Gentiles. And so, um, that same little section, that little summary, there will also be at the end of the letter. So, um, I was going to do go through these seven verses uh, for this first time. I had the, the Romans mapped out all the way till the first of the year, and I'm, we're through about um, verse or chapter five or six by by January one. So it's going to take us a while to get through Romans, but it might take us longer because I changed after I sent after I started the notes, and we're going to do verse one today. All right. So we're going to do verse 1. We're not going to go through the whole book verse by verse. I used to make fun of guys that preached like that because I didn't think that's not the way I, I thought. And, and uh, I used to say things like, Paul, Paul, Paul. You know, like, how can they preach like that, you know, until we took 20 months to go through Luke. Then I go, ah, like this. It, the word of God is so rich, multi-layered. It's alive. It 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 uh, it reaches you who are deep uh, deep thinkers. It, it reaches and touches you, and, and it reaches you if you're parents, and it reaches you if you're students. It, it reaches you if you're hurting or if you're uh, joy filled. Wherever you are, the word of God will reach you and impact you if you just open yourself up and say, "God, uh, fill me with your truth." So we're going to go through verse one today. So we have one point and three little subpoints here. Um, point number one out of Romans is 
You can say a lot with just a few words. All right? So this is what I want to get. I want to just talk about some of these things that Paul uh, brings out here at the very beginning. And remember, this is our introduction. So we want to you know, lay the foundation here uh, in, in a good manner. So Romans 1.1, 1, 1, This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach the good news. So we're going to mix it up a little bit today, those of you that have notes, and we're going to start with the letter B instead of A. All right? I decided to keep A till the end. So don't let that throw you. Or if you're falling asleep already, just think about it for a while. That will wake you right back up, and you'll be so excited when we get back to A. All right? So... Paul calls himself, letter B, he calls himself a bond servant, a bond servant. Now, uh, the Greek word is doulos. It's a bond slave. And um, it's, it's a big deal. It goes way back to the New Testament. Let me read just a few verses out of Deuteronomy 15 to give you background on what a bond slave is or, or, or servant. Sometimes it's translated servant. Sometimes it's translated uh, slave. And sometimes it's actually translated uh, bond servant so back in Deuteronomy 15 verse 12 to 18 this is Moses writing and this is God giving the law and he says if a fellow Hebrew sells himself or herself to be your servant and serves you for six years in the seventh year you must set that servant free now, this was the economy of the ancient world. It was just all over. Uh, people would indenture themselves. Today, we'd, the closest thing would be like you contract yourself out to somebody. Say somebody is an engineer and they contract themselves out to go work in, in uh, the Middle East oil industry and they got to go there for five years. They've signed a contract and they got to fulfill this contract. It's, that's probably the closest thing. That it, it, it didn't freak them out that somebody sold themselves into slavery uh, because that was just common. It was everywhere. And so uh, over a third of the Roman Empire were slaves. Now, sometimes they were taken uh, in war, and sometimes they sold themselves, or sometimes they were sold into by parents who were uh, destitute. And um, I'll I'll get into a little bit of that later. Uh, When you release a male servant, do not send him away empty-handed. Give him a generous farewell gift from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Share with him some of the bounty with which the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember that you were once slaves in the land of Egypt. Remember that once you were slaves in your sinful past, slaves to sin, because that, that picture of Egypt and freedom is our life, a picture of our life where we were once in sin and we were set free into all the promises that God has for us. So the Israelites went to the promised land. We have a promised land as well, what God has ahead for us. Um, That is why I'm giving you this command. But suppose your servant says, I will not leave you because he loves you and your family and he has done well with you. In that case, take an awl and push it through his earlobe into the door. Ouch. All right? Or some kids go, cool. So, (laughs) after that, he will be your servant for life. And do the same for your female servants. 
You must not consider it a hardship when you release your servants. Remember that for six years they've given you services worth double the wages of hired workers, and the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. This is a picture of what a bond slave is. Paul opens the letter in Romans, Paul, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. I am in this thing for life. He's taken me to the doorpost, put an awl through my ear, put a gold ring in, and I am part of his family for life, forever. Because I want to serve him. I love him. I don't want to leave this family of God. See the picture there. So, uh, this is the designation that Paul gives himself over and over as a slave uh, of Christ. And that, that, that word servant or slave is not a bad word. Moses... I mean, Moses, Joshua, David, all those guys were called servants of the Lord. But here's Moses' epitaph. When Moses died, God said this right at the beginning of Joshua. Moses, my servant, is dead. That was his whole epitaph on his gravestone. I'm telling you what, that's the greatest privilege is to be called and to live as a servant of Almighty God. And God called Moses his servant. Isn't that great? It's awesome. Um, So the word slave, though, was kind of disgusting to Romans. Roman citizens were not slaves. And so that was kind of, in their culture, a lower class of, of person. So this whole thing of, you know, indenturing yourself to Jesus and call yourself a slave was a bit disgusting to the world. And your family and your friends may not understand you enjoying being called a servant of God. They might not understand that. So, uh, and by the way, those kind of slaves are not the kind of slaves we had in this country in the 16th, 17th, 1800s. It it wasn't exactly the same thing. Uh, Most of those slaves, uh, almost all the slaves in the first century could, uh, could earn money and save money and purchase their freedom. And most of, most of them did that or end up uh, doing that. And they often became part of the family. They were often included in wills and inheritances. They were almost always set free when the master died and things like that. It, it wasn't quite the same as, as it is. And, and, and the slavery and the slave trade is actually spoken against in the Bible, and, and it should be. Uh, it's a horrible thing. You can just read First Timothy 1.10, uh, and the list of a whole bunch of sins is, the, is slave traders. And uh, who, who wrote Amazing Grace? John Newton. Uh, he was a slave trader. Took slaves from the west coast of Af- Africa over to North and, and South America. And he, he, when he came to Christ, he said, uh, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That's where that came from. Somebody who knew the depth of their sin. Somebody who knew that God Almighty saved them. And we as, as believers, as, as human beings, we know the depths of our sin. And we know to the extent that God has forgiven us. Yeah. And it's amazing grace. He had a revelation of God's goodness for him. So Jesus said this in Mark chapter 10. He said... Um, Uh, You know, I didn't come here to be served. I came to serve. It's not that way with you people. A lot of times when we want to be great, you know, we want to be first, we want to be the head, you know, and all these kind of things. He goes, but that shouldn't be that way with you. It might be that way in the world. 
But he said, among you, it'll be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave, doulos, of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here we have Jesus setting the example of being a servant. Uh, Letter C. Paul uses the word apostle. I just want to talk about this for a moment. Now, Ephesians chapter 4 talks about the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. The fivefold ministry of the Ephesians 4 uh, ministry. And uh, those are special people gifts to the church. The, the Ephesians 4 ministry is to equip the saints, those are believers, for the works of service. So when an evangelist comes into this church, he equips all of us in evangelism so that we have uh, the adjective, we have an evangelism culture here. And then uh, a prophetic person might come in and equip the church in, in the area of the prophetic. A prophet is a person. The prophetic is an adjective. And we can all work in that. They equip us. A pastor, usually pastor and teacher, are locally based. And they equip the saints pastorally to love and care for each other, to teach each other, uh, to be taught the Word of God, to be equipped in that arena. And so Paul calls himself an apostle. Now, I just want to say this. The original apostles that Jesus chose, he called these guys to be his disciples whom he named apostles. All right, so disciple are the people that he's training and equipping. And then he called them apostles. And that, that's like a, a sent one. That's, that's the best interpretation of being a sent one. Now, um, apostolos is the Greek, and we get, that's where we get our word apostle. But when the original first uh, century writings were translated into Latin... The, the uh, Latin word for apostle is missio there, and so that's where we get our term for missionary. So missionary is a sent one. Apostle is a sent one. It's the same thing, just one is Greek and one is, comes from, from uh, Latin. So it shouldn't confuse us. So Paul was uh, an apostle sent by God uh, to the Gentiles. Now, the original apostles have a unique place in church history and Christian history. They're mentioned in Revelation, and they're going to have some status and jobs there. That's the original uh, apostles. Nothing will take that away. But there's many other apostles, sent ones in the New Testament, that are mentioned other than the 12. Uh, I have a big list up here, and I I can email it to you if you ask me. But in Acts uh, 14.14, When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, Barnabas wasn't one of the twelve. When the apostles Paul and Barnabas heard this, and whether Paul was one of the original twelve, that's debatable. Some people say that he should have been the one that was brought in, you know, after Judas uh, betrayed. But it doesn't really matter. Romans 16.7, Paul says, Greet Andronicus and Junius, my relatives who have been in prison with me. They've been outstanding among the apostles. I mean, there's... There's a bunch of other apostles mentioned uh, in the New Testament. Apostles are simply sent ones. They have a gifting in them to break open new ground, to plant churches, to take the gospel to the regions that have never heard before. Now, here's something very interesting. Paul said this. 
who most would consider the greatest of the apostles, he said this, to some, I'm not an apostle. How could that be? Because Paul hadn't ministered to them. They didn't know. They go, Paul? Who's Paul? We don't even know who he is. He's an apostle? I thought it was like this. And so, actually, when he says, to some I'm not an apostle, that means to some I am. To some, I'm a pastor. And to some, I'm not. And I'm happy with that. So it's, it's your field uh, of ministry. And so Paul's field of ministry as an apostle was widespread, and he broke open uh, nation after nation after nation. So... Uh, so Paul emphasizes his authority as an apostle here. He did see Jesus. He was called by Jesus. He saw Jesus personally. Uh, he, he wrote a good portion of the New Testament and set things theologically. Uh, and, and the original 12 uh, apostles, so that's why I believe that Paul was one of the original ones, they had the authority to write words that had equal weight to the scriptures of the Old Testament. And so every apostle out there now, they don't write things that add to our Bible, uh, but they're apostles. They're breaking up new ground. So the, the original 12 and Paul, they have a unique place in, in history. So uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. This is our theme this year. Uh, therefore, go, go. We want to have a going. We want to have an apostolic heart. That's what that means. We are sent ones. This is not your mission field in here. This is the equipping time. This is university. This is a class. This is the huddle in a football game. Get your plan. Get hit on the back of the head. Get encouraged. Get a sip of Gatorade. And get out there and play the game. All right? That's what this is. It's sad that all too often believers around the world get hurt in the huddle. That ought not to be. This is the safe place. This is the place where we should be equipped and encouraged to go out there and get hurt. <laughs> and then come crawling back, bleeding and wounded, and say, help me, Jesus, I need, I need my family and my friends, and we go out and do it again. That's playing the game. Not, that's being the spectators, not just... I mean, being participants, not just being spectators. So, um, okay. So that's, you know, it's the difference between apostle and ap- ap- apostolic. Uh, I don't know if we have any apostles in this church. Maybe there are some uh, that will be. Um, Paul and Barnabas, they were just teachers in a local church. And they fasted and prayed, and the Holy Spirit said, set apart Paul and Barnabas and send them like that. And so was he the great apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament? when he No. He was just like a local yokel teacher from a local church. They went out to another church to help with a problem. But Paul was an emerging apostle. Does that make sense? And decades later, he's writing huge theolo- theological uh, books in the, in the New Testament. That's a, what a, a great picture we have. And all of us are emerging somethings. And if you haven't emerged yet and God has a call in your life, emerge. All right? Let him emerge you. All right? Let him call you out and pull you out and do what's necessary. Some of you are emerging worship leaders and you're just sitting on your duff and you don't even know how to play anything yet. Use the gift that God gave you and, and fine-tune it. Some of you are brilliant teachers and, and you have this wonderful ability to uh, lead a, a group of people and explain uh, truths to them. And some of you love kids and some of you want to hold babies and some of you are great cooks. And, and just allow God to use you 
in the way that he's gifted you and called you, all right? So, um, therefore go. That's our theme this year. We want to be a people that go out into the marketplace, out into our, the business, out into our neighborhoods and our schools and represent Jesus. Um, all right. A. We're going to get back to A here. This is that one where you go, Paul, Paul, Paul. Do you know what his name used to be? Saul. Saul encountered Jesus and was never the same again. The gospel produces changed lives. Isn't that amazing? Uh, Remember his former life? How he persecuted people. He hated believers. He hated this new cult, he called it, of Christianity. These people following this Jesus guy. Who was this Jesus guy? This is, this, we are God's chosen people. We have the temple. We have the scriptures and the law. And we've done it for thousands of years and we're going to keep doing it this way. What is this? He was blinded. He had not seen that Jesus was the fulfillment of everything that they believed in. So he was on his way to a city called Damascus. He had letters in his hands so that he could arrest people, put them in prison, persecute them for being Christians. And he met Jesus. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul, see his name was Saul, was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. This guy was a murderer. We think, oh, Paul, St. Paul, the Apostle Paul. You know, the Paul, Paul never called himself the Apostle Paul? Ever. He said, Paul, comma, an apostle. That's why I don't call myself Pastor Steve. Or I ask people, please don't call me Pastor Steve, because it's not in the Bible. Uh, it's Steve, comma, our pastor. Pastor and elder are synonymous in this church. Same thing. The pastors are the elders, the elders are the pastors. It's because it's in the Bible, that's what we see there. And so we don't want to make something new. So, anyway, Paul, this guy was killing people. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way. He found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains as he was approaching Damascus on his mission, this mission, a light... Light is always a good thing. Light dispels the darkness. Light helps the blind to see. From heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So Saul is laying on the ground here and he thinks he's persecuting these Christians these Christ followers. And a voice says, why are you persecuting me? And his correct response is, who are you, Lord? 
if I was struck to the ground and I heard a voice from heaven, I would be very respectful as well. <laughs> oh, Lord. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, and the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Saul was persecuting the body of Christ. Jesus is the head of the body. He's the head of the church. And his body, himself, was being persecuted. So, in an instant, instantaneously, on, on the ground, in the dirt, Saul realized that everything he lived for was a sham. Everything he believed, everything he fought for, was the wrong thing. In an instant, he realized that every man he dragged from, their, from his house and put him in prison or had him flogged or had him killed or executed. Like Saul was standing there when Stephen, the first martyr, was stoned to death. Saul realized in his utter desperation that every baby that he dragged from its mother's arms, every synagogue he invaded and destroyed and burned because Christians were meeting there, Everything that he had done in his life had, had led to him being totally and utterly lost and without any hope of mercy or forgiveness before a holy God. He realized that he was spiritually destitute and bankrupt and he had no hope of eternal life uh, with Jesus or, or with God because of who he was. He had not said yes to Jesus. He had never encountered Jesus before. And now he was encountered with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the creator of this universe. And without God's mercy, without God's grace, he would die doomed to hell because he rejected Christ. He rejected the message of forgiveness and hope. It was a big deal. God intervened with the greatest act of mercy that he could. And he's done that with us as well. And the voice said, Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. You know, sometimes we get a revelation and go, ah, oh, like this. But God goes, you know, Saul, I'm not going to just do this for a minute and expect you to get up. I'm going to let this sit for a couple days so it really gets in there deep. Sometimes when God deals with you in this room and you get up and walk out, you probably should sit in here for about three days and let God really massage that in. Because you're making decisions before God and then you go out and, and decide which restaurant we're going to go to for brunch. And it gets lost. We need to spend expended, extended times. And if you want to, you're welcome to come up here and pray. Get down on your knees. Sit on the first row. And we'll have music playing until the next service or even afterwards. Uh, so you can spend time with the Lord. Really get that. When you make a decision, really, really get that in there. So Saul picked himself off the ground. When he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. But you know what? From that moment on, Paul's life was never the same. Never, ever, 
ever the same. And he was persecuted for this. And because of his life from that point on, millions upon millions, hundreds of millions of people have encountered Jesus. That's amazing what God does and and uses in a person. He was persecuted. He was beaten and left for dead. He was shipwrecked. He He had stripes on his back more times than he could count. He he was broken and bruised and battered and scarred, and yet he did not finish serving Jesus until he took his last breath when the Romans took his head off decades later. He, He was a slave of Jesus. He was faithful. He remained steadfast after he encountered Jesus. When somebody really encounters Jesus, they're never the same. Sometimes we've got to ask ourselves that question. Am I just nonchalant about what Jesus did for me? That's, that's a lot of pressure. And this is only verse 1 in Romans. <laughs> Another good thing out of this is that it doesn't matter what your background is. Paul was a murderer. A kidnapper a taker away of children from their parents. And yet God used him mightily. God forgave him. And Paul walked in freedom. He never stopped preaching the gospel to himself. And we, we shouldn't stop preaching the gospel to ourselves. I encourage you to get up every morning, look in the mirror and say, you are a sinner in desperately need of a Savior Thank you for saying yes to Jesus. Let's, 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 you know, you're talking to yourself. It's a little weird, but you're talking to yourself and you say, we're going to keep on keeping on. We're not going to give up. I'm going to keep following Jesus. I'm going to remain steadfast. It may cost me something. It may cost me a lot. It might cost me everything. And if he calls me to go be an underground missionary in China today or in the Middle East... And Terry and I have friends that are in the Middle East. They're, they're getting in there now, and we can't even report on where they're going and what they're doing because their lives are in danger. It's happening all around the world. God might call you there, but he might call you into the scariest place ever, your workplace, and tell your friends about Jesus. Cue the music. Ta-da! Like this. You know how much he loves you. He really does. What a great reminder of the gospel, the good news. So how do we apply this? Number one, ask yourself, have I encountered Jesus? Really, if you haven't encountered Jesus, I encourage you to say yes to Jesus today. And if you don't know what that means, we've got a bunch of people up here when we sing songs up here at the, at the end for a response. The purpose is so that we can respond. Come up and say, how do I say yes to Jesus? What does that mean? And, and what do I say? And, and where is that in the Bible? And If you have honest questions, ask them. Ask them. Have you really encountered Jesus? Is your life any different since when you said yes? I remember I asked, I asked myself that. I came to Jesus when I was eight. I hadn't been a drug dealer or a bank robber or a murderer. And I, I think probably about 20 years ago I was praying. I said, Lord, you know, I just, 
I don't have this testimony, you know, of being brought into the family of God. And and then he reminded me, it's like when God kind of downloads stuff, sometimes he speaks to you and it's like, like this, like 10 big pictures at once. And you go, oh, like this. And I realized that all the foster homes that I had been in growing up, he said, if you remained at that one, you would have kind of looked like this today. If you remained at this one, you would kind of look like this today. None of these had good endings. He goes, but I brought you here, and this is what you look like today because of me. Ask God to give you a revelation of where you would be today without Jesus, and then thank him for that. It's amazing. Have you really encountered Jesus? And number two, do I live to serve Jesus? Or am I serving myself? Do I live to serve Jesus by serving others? Because the Bible says, through love, serve one another. Am I using my gifts to serve the body here? Am I using my, my gifts to make a difference here? It might be seen or unseen. This building is a building and a structure that fulfills a purpose. Some of its pieces are seen. Some of its pieces are unseen. They're hidden. They're in the walls. But they're holding the place up. We all have a place. We, whatever it is that God has called us to. And number three, have I embraced this going mindset? Have I really... You know, here we are in, in, in the end of August. For eight months now, we've been talking about therefore go. That's our theme this year. And have this apostolic heart, this outward-looking heart. Do I embrace this or go, ah, that's just stuff they're talking about? Or am I really a missionary into my family and to my sphere of influence? Have I really embraced it in my school, among my friends in the neighborhood? Amen? I encourage you to go before God in these next few minutes and just say, God... Have I, have I done these things? And if not, what should I do about it? Amen. Father, thanks for this verse in Romans that says so much with so few words. God, we thank you for your patience with us. We thank you for your grace and mercy, whereby once we were lost, but now we're found. Once we were blind, but now we can see. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Steve. <clears throat> All right. Uh, if you will, let's stand together. <laughs> we have the, um, the elements for communion here in the front and the back. Um, we can remember what Jesus did for us. And, you know, if, if, I think in all, uh, all of our lives, we're somewhat like Paul, um, where we're kind of going along a way and we feel like that's the way that God has us. All right. Ah. And, that, and then something like this happens, and it just interrupts what you thought you were going to do. And God wants to get your attention. And uh, this is a, that's not my mic. I turned it up. Okay, there we go. It's, uh, all right. Yeah, all right. Oh, okay. What was I saying? Um, yeah, he gets your attention somehow. And he says, you know, actually, I have something else for you. I have something different for you. Uh, and that's what this time is for. And so let's take this time. 
let's take this time to respond and ask the Lord, hey, sometimes, you know, we're very dutiful. We're not always like we're screwing up or something like that. But sometimes God is actually trying to get our attention. And we are. We're dutiful. We're, we're obedient. We say, God, you told us to do this, and we're going to go this direction. And he says, actually, I, wanna, I, wanna, I have something new for you, or I have something. I, I want to refresh you or something. And so give him an opportunity during this time to speak to you. Let's listen and say, God, you know, do, do you have anything fresh for me? Do you want to encourage me? Do you actually have somebody in this room right now who needs me to talk to them about the struggle that I just had victory in? Um, we are the priesthood of all believers, and so we're here gathered, not by accident. Each and every one of us has an opportunity to minister to somebody else in this room right now and, and be the church. Uh, so let's, during this time, let's ask him that too, like be, because we are so much more powerful for him if we're all engaged. And just ask him, is there a way that I can engage more um, with your church right now today?